0: rank squad and welcome to the first champions league review here on ranks fc we're gonna be doing this throughout the rest of the campaign an extra show on champions league weeks to give you the best of what we saw and try and get some rankings into this champions league format what else would we do here on ranks fc my name is jack collins and i'll be your host there and i'm joined by the rank god mr sam Tai. how you doing mate
1: I'm very well, mate. Thank you. Even a relatively calm Champions League start in the round of 16 can't dampen my spirits. I do enjoy this knockout competition, even if the goals aren't fully free flowing at this point.
0: Yeah, it wasn't the best round of fixtures I think we've seen in the Champions League, was it Dean Jones, transfer guru?
2: (laughs) It wasn't. uh, It was actually quite predictable, though. Uh, I think all four games have ended as we teed them up to be to be honest in the preview i can't remember too many uh last 16 of the champions league being you know getting off to such a really predictable start but yeah we're gonna go through this and, and pick some champions league takeaways um basically learnings yeah from what we got out of those games
0: yeah, three three takeaways from each game, ranked three two one. Sam's got two games. Dean and I have one each. We have split up duties, as you do, when there are plenty of games on the TV at the same time. So Sam, over to you, and where are you gonna start us off? I think
1: I should start with Borussia Dortmund one Chelsea Nil, because it was actually a very, very entertaining game. So I'd like to lead off with it because I'll I'll take the final fixture and not to delivered too many spoilers but it wasn't exactly a barn burner but this one (laughs) this one was really good and the top takeaway here is that both of these teams are too wasteful in front of goal to genuinely win the Champions League now that may sound a little bit obvious because I don't think anybody's really genuinely putting Dortmund and Chelsea in their like top two or three contenders but we do trick ourselves sometimes and we do go, oh, well, you know, it is in these kind of weird seasons where, you know, Chelsea pull out an incredible win from somewhere. Think, Somehow they managed to. I think to... Dean
0: did actually have them in his top three, did he not? <laughs> well, that's Who? exactly what I'm talking Chelsea, about. Chelsea, yeah, we but that, get, was a, yeah, that was a. Yeah, <laughs> that
2: was a. It's because that was my fear, wasn't it? That was, right, yeah. that was my fear taking over of this this hold that they have in Champions League seasons when they're not actually a very good team, and nothing expected of them. They just achieved the impossible. But um,
1: The thing is, they do have a habit yeah. of doing that.
2: They do. They However, do. It doesn't look like it's going to happen this time.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Chelsea and a lack of potency is not exactly a new combination. I think we've been watching it for months now, and particularly since the turn of the year, it's been a massive problem. Um, in this game, Dortmund joined them in that crusade of missing all their chances bar one shot count for the game was 32 in total 14 for Dortmund 18 for Chelsea and just one goal um Felix was responsible for quite a lot of this unfortunately he had a, a very very good game in every department apart from putting the ball in the back of the net he missed at least three very very good chances hit the bar with one one straight at Kerbel another one over the bar should do better with all of them, really, and should should have scored at least one. Could have barely had one off the line. Maris Wolf flashed one wide. Maurice James hit one into the turf and it skipped up and he forced a good save. Felix probably missed a couple more after that. It was just mischance after mischance after mischance. And for a neutral, it was marvelous to watch because it was, you know, it was it was thrilling, it was enjoyable. But if you're a fan of either of these teams, it must have been extremely extremely exasperating because there were no issues creating, only issues scoring. Basketball game, genuinely, but with no end product, so to speak, except for one mm. from Adeyemi, which we'll get to. Amazing goal, but a product of some mistakes rather than anything particularly excellent that Dortmund were able to conjure in front of
0: goal. Mm. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine it was a frustrating night for fans. I mean, look, Dortmund fans will have gone home happy in the fact that they took a 1-0 lead yep. going into the second leg. They very ra- rarely beat English teams. It is one of those weird statistics where they've they've struggled with in, in recent years. So generally, I think job done. And also, it depends how Dortmund look to play at Chelsea because as that game wears on, the pace and speed that they can deploy on the break means that they, they should be relatively happy to sit in, dig in for the first 45 and let the game come to them in so many ways because it should allow them to kind of play in a way that suits them stylistically. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Dortmund set out, I think, in the second leg.
2: I mean, Chelsea never score two goals, do they? I mean, it's, it's a long time. It's rare these days that Chelsea, well, they do not score In the last four games, I think they've only got one goal. But you look through their fixtures and actually finding a game where Chelsea score more than one goal, it barely happens. Like even going back to like November this i think it's been twice since november that chelsea've scored two goals this this mm, team is just it's just yeah got no end product yeah. there's just i mean obviously they they haven't got a number 9 like quite literally they they haven't got a goal scorer
1: no no there's there's no sharp edge at the top and Look it's funny you say that Jack in terms of how the game you know may come to Dortmund in the way that they want it to in the second half. It was interesting watching this one. I wasn't really sure how it was going to pan out but I don't think what I actually expected was what happened in the first 45 minutes where actually Chelsea played on the counter for like the entirety of the first half. Dortmund had a lot of possession and a lot of territory yeah. and moved the ball around very nicely and it was actually Chelsea who with one pass were trying to release Mudrick, one pass trying to trying to release Felix. Or Ziesch. It was Chelsea very much playing in the way that you'd imagine Dortmund would like to play in the second half. So that was very interesting. It did settle into a pretty regular pattern second half where Chelsea had to push for it. But first half, it was like a role reversal. Um, Dortmund's problem here was ultimately, you know, if Chelsea's issue was Kerbal and uh, just wastefulness, I think Dortmund may have, may have struggled a little bit with the step up in quality of centre-backs that they were facing tonight. Um, it's no disrespect, massively to the Bundesliga, but Koulibaly had a really good game. First time we've been able to say that in a while. And Tiago Silva was Tiago Silva. And between them, Dortmund did find this very, very difficult. And that's why the second takeaway here is that details really, really matter at the top level more than we can ever really believe. And right. I love this Adiyemi goal. <laughs> I love this Adiyemi goal. Like, it's amazing. And I was squealing, like squealing away watching it. Like, it was brilliant. Like, I felt like Gary what Neville. He's saying, run, run, run. run. What were you saying? It was so good. Like, the, the touch to take the ball down. And then, the, the, you yeah. know, the pace and the control and the composure. Then the, the touch to take it past It Enzo made Enzo matters. look about
2: 47 years old, didn't he? He
1: did. He did, yeah. And then he's got the composure to run the goalkeeper. And then he can slide it home. And then he's got enough energy left in his legs to do a backflip. I mean, Karim Adeyemi is one of the most athletically impressive people I've ever seen. Uh, not just for the run, but for the backflip too. But this really shouldn't have happened. Okay, Adiyemi is fast. Okay, counterattacks happen. But Chelsea put one man on the halfway line attacking a corner, and that one man was Enzo Fernandez. So I was usually in this, in this situation, I would argue that you should probably keep two men back. Probably. If you're only going to keep one, make it a Reese James, like a Carl Walker style, like recovery runner, like a really, really fast player not enzo fernandez like if he has one weakness it's the fact that he's not athletic and surely if you've got enzo and you you've got an attacking corner you probably park him on the edge of the box don't you
2: you might get a straight ball. A top corner if it yeah. falls to him yeah yeah, yeah
1: he might smack one top corner he might recycle play put it back out wide very calm very nice he could do loads of stuff in this scenario yeah. but he definitely can't do much from the halfway line and of course Chelsea are a bit unfortunate here because they come very close to scoring from this corner and then it's flicked away and it's, you know, five seconds later, it's a goal. It's actually very James James Tarkovsky, Mohamed Salah from Monday, almost identical Mm. scenarios where you come so close and then 10 seconds later, you're a goal down. So it's unlucky from that perspective. But this is a bad setup and it really does remind you that details matter. And I hadn't, mate. I just, I was sat there and I can't remember exactly the, the details, but do you remember when Man United conceded a goal in Turkey in the Europa League? I want to say it was Denver Bar for Istanbul Basak Shaheer. Yeah, it was about six on one by the time it was the ball went <laughs> in It reminded me of that, and we panned United for that. So we have to criticise Chelsea for this. This is
0: not a good setup. They've been burned by this before. Do you remember Jorginho, last man on the halfway oh, line? Yes. yes, he takes a heavy Martinelli, touch. Martinelli, was it? Yeah, he takes a heavy touch, which obviously isn't what happens here with Enzo. So maybe the number
2: five is always the guy that has to stay back.
0: But Chelsea have been burned by this exact thing before, leaving an unathletic man as the last man on the halfway line and getting burned by a counterattack at speed. You'd have thought they would have learned their lesson.
1: Different manager, uh, but yeah, same issue. Same shirt number. Terrible, terrible stuff. But look, I'll take us on to the final takeaway, and that is that I'm going to sit here and I'm going to guarantee that this second leg is a cracker. It's going to be brilliant. It's set up perfectly because Dortmund have the lead, but it's still in the balance. It's set up perfectly because there's a lot of XG to cash in here, guys. A lot of players on that pitch are owed some goals. So this could genuinely be the sort of 4-3 that the shot map suggested it might be over the course of tonight. And then there are other elements as well. You know, Chelsea obviously having to find that killer edge and knowing they need to score a couple of goals And knowing that it's their season on the line, what will that do to them? And then watching Dortmund tonight, while they were very good, they did struggle to contain their emotions a little bit. And they played right on the edge. Right on the edge. And it's not a criticism because actually the bloodlust that they played with contributed to the performance and the result. But there's a fine line in these things. And Emery Chan had a very good game, but he was one burst blood vessel away from getting very silly and very stupid. And it's just those little things when the pressure is turned up to max that decide these games. And if that last 20 minutes is anything to go by, the next 90 are going to be amazing.
0: Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. I think it's poised absolutely beautifully. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens and how it plays out when Borussia yeah. Dortmund go to Stamford Bridge. Right, Dean, onwards and upwards onto your game from this week.
2: Yeah, from Tuesday, AC Milan 1, Tottenham Hotspur 0. Um, well, Milan were helped by the fact that they had a positive result coming into this game. Tottenham have been a shambles ever since that Man City win. Um, on and off the pitch, they've been suffering injuries. They've had bad results. They've had their manager in hospital. They've had all sorts going on. Anyway, so by the time we got to this fixture, it really was looking like... Milan were the favourites. Um, and when they scored after seven minutes through Brahim Diaz, you were like, OK, this could be a stuff. And fair play to Tottenham, that didn't happen. But at, at number three, the first point I want to bring up is is that Brahim Diaz, yeah, he did decide the game, but it wasn't just because of his goal scoring here. I mean, he put in a great performance. Um, that desire that he showed to actually score the goal was great. But he put in such a shift. And then... His role as the attacking support in this team, yeah, that was carried out very well. But beyond those attacking expectations, I felt like it was the graft that he put in beyond that to help out um, the midfield that really helped Milan get a grasp on this game. Because it was a really strange midfield battle. You know, Tottenham um, filled him, Papo Matasar and um, Oliver Skip, you know, very... We don't see this. And both players have, you know big potential in the game, but this is not the midfield that Tottenham would have planned on fielding when this draw was made. Um, And to be fair, like both players, as the game progressed, grew into it by the end of the game. I thought both of them actually had a good game. But Milan made the most of the first half, really, when they were still getting used to it. I mean, Skip, he played a few loose balls. There was a couple of times when he took out like Liao because he just... He just wasn't sharp enough to get there. And it was a bit naivety, maybe. But ultimately, Brahim Diaz, I just felt like he was the spark for this team. Now, look, defensively, they were great too. I'll get onto that. But he was really good. And when he was taken off, actually, on 77 minutes, I think it was, it was Charles that that came on for him. And not long after had an absolutely unbelievable chance to make it 2-0 and he's missed it. And the camera cuts to Brahim Diaz, who just can't believe his eyes. He looked absolutely gutted, to be honest. I presumed at the time that it was because it wasn't him on the end of it rather than anything else. He's just like, what? (laughs) What? if you just come off the pitch
1: and you see a, a chance like that fall to the player that's replaced you you're oh. like oh come oh, on you're
2: devastated <laughs> especially he's missed it you're like that is the chance to It almost puts the tighter to bed to be honest the state that spurs are in right now um but look brahim diaz is we'll have to see what happens with him in terms of milan he's obviously on loan at the moment from real madrid i'm sure milan do have some desire to get a deal done in the summer I'll have to wait and see but Sure, Pioli would like to keep him if this is his is um the levels that he can reach, especially on, like when look Rafael Liao was was better. He was better than he has been recently. I wouldn't say it was amazing, but there were moments. There were moments of Liao brilliance. There's a couple of like turns and runs through the middle of the pitch when he'd like start to go out wide and. Tottenham ultimately would just chop him down because they didn't know what else to do. They, they couldn't live with it. It's basically the treatment that, that most teams give, like Wilfred Zaha or something in the Premier League. It's like, I don't know what to do. I'll just kick him. Um, <laughs> so they got a bit of that. Um, there was an insane cross that, that he put in that was... Um, that was missed, you know, headed chance that was missed. It was an unbelievable cross. But yeah, ultimately, it, uh, they got away with, with Liao not having the best game of his life because Brahim did have one of his best games racing Milan.
0: Yeah, I was gutted for Charles de catalara because it just feels like yeah. it's not going to break for him, doesn't it? He hasn't got a goal it just, yet, has he? There's that feeling that, you know, these are the moments that you just need one of those to go in and suddenly maybe you're... Milan career can take a turn for the better. Suddenly maybe you're, you know, the crowd are like, oh, he scored that important goal in the Champions League. Maybe he can be a part of this. I actually think that the way that Milan are now setting up probably actually gets De Ketelara in better positions and in a more natural position than maybe he's been given through the rest of the season. The change to the, the back three and the whole way that Milan look Genuinely, I think, feels like it's a better fit and he can get closer to the striker. There's a little bit more like what we saw at Bruges where he can kind of operate in the spaces that he likes. But it's he's got to get going soon or this is going to be a busted flush very quickly, I think.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It'd be a shame. It'd be a real shame because he's obviously unbelievable. Um, but anyway, let's move forward and get on to talking point number two, which was the battle between Harry Kane and Simon Kier, which was... This is like old-fashioned football. Like This was a proper, like, right, there's Harry Kane. Do a job on him. Okay. Um, He did, you know, shadowed him as much as he could. Do you know what? Harry Kane dealt with it really, really well. He actually had a pretty good game, to be honest. Um, Somehow he still continued to look a danger. I mean, Tottenham didn't really ever um, look like they were going to score, but it was going to be Kane if they did. The problem for Kane in this game was he had no one backing him up. No one. He didn't have any help in this fight. So he's being roughed up. Um, he was up for the battle, but he couldn't win it because he didn't have anyone fighting for him in his corner. No one.
0: Um, it would have been very hard for him to pass the ball to Kulisevsky when he was that deep in Chow's pocket. Like, it, it honestly, really Chow, did feel like one of those... What a performance. This is the thing.
2: So Kier had Chow with him, right? Um, who... Possibly was man of the match, right? So Kier's doing this amazing job on Kane, and and has his mate right next to him in the trenches, like pulling out an an eight nine out of ten performance, whichever way you want to look at it. Probably an eight because he missed he missed that uh, sitter that that Liao chance that I was talking about actually did fall to him, which was unfortunate. But anyway, um, so Kane he didn't have any teammates to help him out. You know, like you say, like Kulusevski, nowhere to be seen. Son, forever frustrating, it seems now. don't know if these two can continue in the Tottenham attack, to be honest with you. Um, Kane needs some help. Um, Was was he isolated? Were they too far away
1: from him? Like, literally, the distances were too large. Because I've seen that before. I've seen that. And I've seen it for England as well. I remember the Euros final, sadly. I thought Kane really enjoyed the battle with Chiellini and Bonucci. Backing in, elbowing, jostling. But we were 30 yards away from him at all times. And Kane yeah. has and had to deal with these years wasn't really now. the
2: problem. It was more his, it was more Son's decision making and product. To be honest, like he, it's just not there at the moment for him. Um, but yeah, it was a great battle. Kier, he did edge it in the end. He kept the clean sheet. But interesting to see if this approach can work again in London next time around. Um, Kane knows what's coming next time. Tottenham know what's coming next time and it's given Conte something to think about um, with just the one goal deficit.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. One of my favourite moments of the whole thing was obviously everyone's been very nice to Antonio Conte at the moment in terms of he's just come back from surgery. Apart from every single person at San Siro in red and <laughs> yeah, they don't black. care about that. the booze when his name was read out. Were absolutely like hypersonic. It was genuinely unbelievable. It was so loud. <laughs> I was like, "Wow, yeah. that man really don't care about the fact he's just been in surgery." That's a
2: no spin. love lost. Like that—that no, would be all. the headline. Yeah, indeed, totally. indeed. Um, right. What's
0: number one, dude? Well,
2: look, the top line is this game's still up for grabs, and I think both will feel like it's they've got a great chance. I mean, to be fair, like there was a good lighting uh, Gazeta de la Sport. Uh, describing Milan's performance. It said, the perfect evening to fall in love with Milan again after quarrels, frowns and misunderstandings, Valentine's Day brings the Rossineri hearts closer again. And I was like, "That—that <laughs> that is kind of what happens to be fair. Like it's very poetic. It's very Jack Collins um, to bring Valentine's Day into the equation here. But um, yeah, it did feel like that. It, it felt like it was a Milan team you could be proud of again. Um, And I think that that's what's given them um, this great opportunity. I mean, look, if you look at it, um, clearly, Milan have got one foot in the last eight here. Um, They're the better team, to be honest, right now. Their missed chances really could end up costing them um, because Tottenham will be talking about that and be like, look, that, that was massive. Like those two missed chances have given us a massive lifeline in this tournament and we have to now jump on it. The problem is it's hard to know whether they'll be in good enough condition, good enough form to be capable of making the most and overturn in this deficit. I mean, they've lost, I think it's seven of their last 14 games now. They've got an injury pile up. um, And plus they have this goals issue where it's like Kane or nothing, basically. Um, it's, It's pretty worrying home advantage, we have to remember in the Champions League is massive. Um, It it genuinely is still a thing. I mean, I know the away goals rule isn't there anymore, but that doesn't mean that it's now any easier to go anywhere in Europe because that does still exist. So we do need to remember that. Um, But the thing is, I think Milan will score in the second leg. I do think they'll get a goal. Romero, by the way, like, Poor performance. It's not often I like the shot, wasn't he? It was all over the shot. Not just it's not just that moment with Teo Andes that led to the first goal when basically gets bodied. But it just wasn't a good performance. Um, but it was a good tie. Um, there's lots of the light on the line here going forward uh, for Conte and Tottenham and AC Milan. And I'm very much looking forward to the second leg.
0: Well, Dean, you talked about a team with one foot in the quarterfinals. Here's a team with two feet firmly in the quarterfinals Ooh. and the name in the hat. I watched Club Bruges nil Benfica 2. Now, some would say that I got the short straw this week, but actually I saw more goals than the rest of you. So who's <laughs> you laughing now? Who love games laughing like this, mate. Right? You, you've you've right? built yourself into these corners. No, to be fair, I, I I enjoyed this. I thought it was actually a relatively good battle. And I want to start my three with three. The fact that Rafa Silva shone again tonight in the Champions League. And it's delightful to see. He's just coming back from a little injury. He missed three games in the league. He got four minutes off the bench the last time out of Casa And I'm going... Oh, is Rafa Silva going to be fit enough to start this game, considering how good he was in the group stages? He's got four goals and an assist in six group stage games, including that brace in the 4-3 win at Juventus, where he was clearly the best player on the park. He was the best player on the park again tonight. Absolutely sensational. Slotted back into that number 10 role, and he ran Club Bruges ragged. All evening, he just, every time he gets the ball, he glides, he sweeps. He is a pure delight to watch. And all of Benfica's kind of vibes, I think, for the first 60 minutes came through Rafa Silva. First, a little bit on the counter. And then as they sort of gained control of the game towards the end of the second half, the end of the first half, sorry, he just started to be the conduit through which everything went. And when he's playing in this kind of form, yes, you can Question the caliber of opposition. Yes, you can do all of these things. When he's in this kind of form, he sparkles, and it's just a real delight to watch. That there were questions over whether he'd be there this season. There'll be there's still questions over whether he'll be there next season. But in this kind of form, he's the kind of player that every single club in Europe could do with. And I just really enjoyed him coming back from that injury. The question marks over whether he was going to be fit, and then to drop a performance like this. Absolutely exquisite. I loved it.
1: It's funny. When you text us to say that silver is shining, I I, I actually thought you meant Antonio. Um, mm. So it was only when you began talking there that I realized you meant Rafa. <laughs> you have to specify which silver is shining nowadays at Benfica. They've got so many silvers. They've got so many brilliant
0: ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, Ant- Antonio was fine as well. Like He did absolutely very little wrong. But it's just kind of one of those things where... You watch Rafa Silva and it's just so, you know, happy. It's so like uh, my big grin on my face. Lucy was sitting next to me during it. She's like, why are you smiling so much at Benfica? Like my family, they hate Benfica. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, but Rafa Silva's joy, isn't he? He's so good Uh, So, yeah, I absolutely loved his performance. So that was in at number three. Uh, At number two, I'd like to warn Dean that this comes with trigger warnings. Parkable uh, uh, is back in full uh, uh, swing. It really is. They Club Rouge, I genuinely thought, acquitted themselves. Okay. They ran on the counter. Noah Lang did all right. Tejon Buchanan's end product isn't there. But you know what? He put himself about, he was bright, he was bustly, and he created their best opportunity in the first half. For all of that, Club Rouge had one shot on target. And This is where it comes to. You're going, hang on, this is your home leg. You've dominated the first 10, 15 minutes of this game. They really did look bright. And in that, it was just Tejan Buchanan's shot from a really tight angle that Vakodimos did well with, but should be saving, that basically they got on target. They did score a goal that was disallowed for offside. And I think my heart might have exploded if Dennis Adoy had scored a goal in the Champions League round of 16. (laughs) His header was ruled correctly offside. But for all of that and all their kind of hustle and bustle, there was just no end product. And I found myself having flashbacks to watching Fulham in the Premier League the last time out and going, yeah, we're OK. We're just not good enough. And that's ultimately what this came down to. These spells of pressure that Parker is actually very good at coaching. He, he, you know, he coaches the team to go out and push first 15, 15 minutes, try and use the adrenaline, use the crowd and, and get into it and then they have another spell around sort of the 70 minute mark after going 1-0 behind they try and tie the game up but i was watching it and going this is the story this is a story i have seen before and this story does not end well and i think what's quite weird is obviously i haven't watched every game the club bruges have put together under scott parker but i've watched a fair you? bit of it when we were doing the preparation for the <laughs> podcast last week I, I went and did some some genuine digging on club bruges under parker and I would say this is one of their better performances. And they had one shot on target. And and that's the thing that ultimately you look at and you go, are Club Bruce going to go and score two or three goals without reply in Lisbon at Benfica? And the answer is no chance. absolutely no way. You know, just no, none of those things. They're, they're out. out. I mean done, with, they're it's they're finished.
2: Out. Yeah. Without you telling me any of that, I could have looked at the score known as Scott with manager and been like, dead team, done. There is no chance. They're, they're probably going to happen now. Um But yeah, everything we saw at Fulham, I actually stuck up for him a lot at Fulham. Probably a lot to do with the fact that I know he's a nice bloke and I've spoken to him quite a few times. And sometimes that, that sways you a bit. And he is like, he's genuinely like a really good guy. Um But his football philosophy, mm, it's... Question is probably the way. Yeah, 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 it's... He's got a clear principle, obviously. It's not far off um, a, re- a reflection of what he was as a footballer. Um wasn't a very exciting footballer. He was a good one. He was technically good. He filled a good role in a team. I have no idea what Club Bruges are doing here. I don't know what they I think they're getting out of this. I don't know what they where they think he's going to take them. That's what I'm just mystified by. Because while I, I stuck up for him a lot, Fulham, um, and you know, a lot, a lot of that was due to the fact that Fulham had been in a bad place and he, he did help turn things around that he found an identity, not that it ended up being a great one, but it took us up and then he you know, he just made some bad decisions and stuff in the end. But this is
0: it's just flabbergasting.
2: It's absolutely flabbergasting that Scott Parker is managing in the last sixteen of the Champions League right now.
0: What's not flabbergasting is how it played out, and no. I think this is it. Bruges weren't bad; they just had nothing to threaten a Benfica side that were obviously better than them across pretty much every position on the park. And this is the top line from me: the number one ranked thing. Big bad Benfica bully Bruges. That's that's where <laughs> we're at. Like it, what happened here was Benfica rode out the first 15 minutes, and then they started to impose themselves on the game. The two goals come from, one, a penalty where you know, Gonzalo Ramos nicks in front of Jack Hendry and wins a foul, which is a really silly decision-making, but it's forced upon by the fact that Benfica are just hammering away at the Bruges goal at this point. At some point, mistakes are going to happen if the other team are technically and physically better than you. And the second goal is another mix-up in defence, which Dared Neres just runs on and finishes quite comfortably. And, you know, that second that second goal goes in, you're like, tie dead, good night. That's it. We we know for a fact that this is not going to be turned around now. And Benfica didn't feel like they really had to get out of second, third gear. They just knew they had the physical edge. They knew they could get down the wings. They knew they could get the ball into Gonzalo Ramos, and he was probably going to start winning headers. He did. He probably should have done a, a little bit better with a couple of them. But the scary thing about that is that Benfica feel that they could win this second leg 3-4-0 and it almost wouldn't be a, a major stretch for them. It, it would be, you know, a training exercise. And that, I think, is probably the top line. This is the game I think I'm most confident in, being like, see you later, good night, door shut.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's over. This one's over. This one's done. Oh, well, at least we only have to watch three games in uh, you know, three weeks or so. We could just do one Yeah, each. we're just
2: going to leave them out of the next review. Or he's still yeah, we'll, it. See, we'll see how <laughs> it goes. Are you going to see watch see how the
0: how second leg? Depends how many Benfica footballers, I suppose. Right, so let's go on to our fourth and final game, Sam. We left the big gun in terms of headline names for last. I was listening to a podcast
1: last Wednesday uh, where these two guys, they were talking about how PSG Bayern was the headline tie of this tranche of games. I don't know exactly who it was or what the podcast was, but oh it Hang was on, you guys. Was the head, it was this you was the guys headline
0: game of this tranche of games. What are you on about? This you guys <laughs> The winner of the Champions League is coming from, me this me. from this game, mate. The winner You is promised coming from me this game. would be a good one. Um right. I
1: actually drew good, the short yeah. straw. I yes. actually drew the short straw. PSG nil, Bayern, one. Not great. Not great. I mean enough in it to to be to be relatively interesting. And I've got I've got some stuff to say about it, but like just didn't, you know, when a game is when you think it's going to be amazing and it's not, it's one of the worst feelings in the world. But anyway, uh, it's a game that Bayern for a long time felt like they should be winning by definitely more than one goal. And then after that last 15 minutes or so, you almost came away from it thinking, wow, Bayern were quite lucky to have won it. It's just an example of how football games swing sometimes. But first up, I'm going to say this. Christophe Galtier's initial selection doomed PSG, put them on the back foot from the off. And I do have some sympathy for him in that this is the game that you want Kylian Mbappe for. And he was injured. He wasn't able to play from the start and he admitted he shouldn't have even come on. It was too much of a risk, but they were one down and he needed to do something. But my sympathy only stretches so far because Bayern were missing Manuel Neuer, Sadio Mane and Lucas Hernandez. Injuries happen. And you have to respond and you have to reply. Galtier's first 11 in this game, when it came out, I was like, are you joking me? Like flat 4-4-2 with a 16-year-old central midfielder, Warren Zaire Emery at right mid and Carlos Soler at left mid. The only speed in this team was hidden away at fullback, unable to attack. They weren't a threat. Like they just weren't a threat and they couldn't press. They couldn't step out and win the ball because the strike duo was messy in Neymar. So they were outnumbered in trying to fight for the ball because those two didn't do any defensive work and they couldn't press because they didn't have any energy. And those two couldn't run in behind and offer a
0: direct threat because they can't run that fast and they can't sprint that fast. It's mad, isn't it? Neymar was able to carry a complete counter on his own and he is just no longer that player. He was, you know, he was if he was quick, he was quicker with the ball, which is always one of those things that is a little bit cliched. But mm. Neymar used to be able to run a counter literally on his ones. And now he's just there being like, okay, no threat unless Killian's on. Yeah, can't do it. Or either doesn't want to do it or, or can't do it. But, you know, PSG
1: then didn't have the, the ball in behind. They were pressed really effectively by Bayern. They just gave it away, like constantly gave it away. There was no like staggering in possession. They didn't have any lines to move the ball through. It was just like eight players. And then like two dudes stood there. And I don't think anybody really knew what they were supposed to be doing. So... Look, there's a lovely stat that emerged from this game, which was that, you know, Warren Zaire Emery played in the Champions League, 16 years of age, absurdly young. You know, he was born after Messi and Ramos's Champions League debut. That's how young he is. On the day he was born, Ramos played against Arsenal in the Champions League in 2006, (laughs) I want to say. Like, he's very young. It's a lovely stat, but he should not have played. (laughs) Like, and it's not his fault that it didn't really go to plan because it's not his fault that he was on the at, at right mid and it's not his fault that he just wasn't really ready, you know? And in the second half, Fabian Ruiz comes on and actually has a, a big say in swinging the tide in this game. Fittina comes on, plays okay. This is a bad selection. And it, it, it led to very early buy-and dominance that PSG in the end could not recover
0: from. So I have to point the finger. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Zaire Emery had one really lovely moment where he spun Fonzie Davis like a spinning top yeah. down that left-hand side and raced in behind. And PSG were a little bit unlucky not to score. It was a good ball in and Neymar just about denied by a sliding tackle. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. There was The game plan was so limited by what was available to Galtier, but what he did have available, he didn't utilize to his best ability in, in pretty much any way, you'd think.
1: Yeah, and there's also just like little addendums as well. Like, you know, I thought their best player on the night was Danilo Pereira. I thought he was everywhere in midfield and he was a really busy, active and destructive presence. They took him off with like 15 minutes to go to put more attackers on. I was like, you could have taken literally any of those guys off. But Danilo Pereira was your most effective footballer. So it's mm. throughout the night, I was sort of scratching my head on you know Galtier's selection and the moves he made afterwards. But at number two... I think we didn't learn this, but it was definitely reaffirmed. Pace is absol- is an absolute requirement to beat Bayern Munich. And if you do not have it, you are absolutely screwed. I'm going to point to the 73rd minute in this game very specifically. It is the minute in which Mbappe made his first run in behind Bayern's defence. And it was PSG's first run in behind for the entire game. So it talked about how Messi and Neymar just didn't really move, didn't offer that threat in behind but well, they eventually tried it in the 73rd minute. It worked pretty well. So he did it again. It worked pretty well. He sold up a Makani, a dummy, went round the outside and created a chance. Inspired by Mbappe's movements, Nuno Meng went, you know what? I'm going to run in behind. I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> and he assists a goal that is ruled out by VAR by like two millimetres. I was just like, mm. okay, you didn't have Mbappe, but for Christ's sake... You've got speed, you just hit it for ages. Mm. And what we've really, really come to learn from this first 75 minutes is that if you don't have speed in behind and you can't play that ball and you can't keep that defensive line honest, Bayern will smother you. Their pressing is too good. Goretzka and Kimmich are too good at mopping up second balls. Upper Meccano is too dominant sweeping halfway. You can't beat this Bayern team unless you go over them. And if you don't have Mbappe, you need to find a different solution, which they did find in the end, but they sort of stumbled into it. So, look, I'm not giving you a hot take here. Oh, pace is important in football. But specifically for anybody watching, if you draw by and if they get through, play your quick players.
0: For Christ's sake, play your quick players. (laughs) Also, I just thought the shift of shape from PSG was like, hang on, this is a shape that let PSG dominate the first half of this season. Yes, domestically. But also I thought they, you know, worked pretty well generally in the Champions League as well. The three at the back with Mensch and Hakimi as wing backs. You do everything to release them two in behind at every possible opportunity. You create an absolute shed load of chances. That's what, that's what happens. And as soon as they went back to that shape, I was like, wow, PSG looked better. Maybe Galtier shouldn't have moved away from the three at the back that was working incredibly well to try and accommodate, uh, you know, uh, more of a midfield. It it doesn't make any sense in in so many ways to not attempt to use those players who have been your biggest threats in terms of carrying the ball and getting into the box. Yes, Mbappe Neymar and Messi are the the names in this team. Yes, between the three of them, they're an incredible trident. But in terms of carrying the ball into opposition thirds and making things happen, Hakimi and Menja are literally dreamland and using a system that gets the best out of both of them, just it, it baffles me that Gautier came away from this.
1: Yeah, a bit strange. He probably feels like he was forced, but then he moved to it kind of in the second half. Their formation in the second half was a bit of a jumble. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a bit of a mess. Marquinhos kind of looked like he was playing three roles at once to try and make it all work. Gazai Emery was kind of right wing back, but also didn't really play there unless they were on the ball. So Marquinhos was widest defending. So the whole thing felt like a bit of a hot mess, to be honest with you. And they sort of had to try and coast through it a little bit where possible until Mbappe ran in behind. And then they got a bit of momentum. But look, I'll finish off by talking about Bayern again. And I'll say this, Bayern are too shy in attack. And it's a it's a weird thing to say. It really is. And maybe maybe it changes when Sadio Mane is back. But they played really well in this game. They were dominant in possession. They were dominant in territory. But it led to very few shots on goal, considering the amount of territory they had. And there was a simple reason for this, and it's that every time they passed the ball into the box, there was no one in it. Like, like there were just no buying shirts in the box. Choupo-Moting is now so full of himself and so confident that he's, like, dropping in and, like, doing stepovers and linking with play, And it's great. Like, like, we, like we're all sorry, really well. like, yeah Yeah, like, you're, you're doing good, and, like, we're all sorry. Like, we definitely underrated you, and we apologise. But he's dropping and drifting. And at the same time, Musiala is drifting wide. And at the same time, Sané's dropping in next to Kimmich. And it's like, you have no one in the box. Cancelo looks up to cross and there's literally no one in it. There's just, there's just PSG defenders. And it's like, all right, at a certain point, you are going to have to put some bodies in the box here because you're going to have to get on the end of stuff. And it was kind of Mm. annoying me that Steve McManaman on commentary kept talking about Lewandowski. But his point was, have they not got anybody that would like to get into the box at any point? And it's a good yeah. point. And what this manifested <laughs> in guys was the only shots they really had were back post shots from crosses. So one full one wing back would just cross to the other. And there was a really good one in the first half that Coleman scuffed from the left. And then in the second half Coleman moved over to the right. Fonzi Davis came on. Davis went down the left, crossed it and Coleman scored from the right. The best chances were wing back to wing back crosses at the far post because there's no one in the penalty spot. There's no one in the six yard box and this is going to have to change. Mm. I tell you what, Thomas Muller's the answer. Thomas Muller's always
2: the answer, you know that. Well, if he's the
1: answer, I don't actually want to know what the question is because he is in a funk and he came on
0: and he did not look good.
2: Did he not? The Mm. The question
0: is, if the answer is Thomas Muller, the question is who in the Bayern squad can make the best horse impression? Uh, because i know for a fact the answer to that question is thomas Müller. um but yes. on that i think we should probably call this a day uh, and all the stuff for me to do is say thank you very much to so the rank got mr samtai cheers mate thank you very much our chancellor guru mr dean jones Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. This has been our first Champions League review show. We're going to be back next week reflecting on the other four ties as well. If you're listening to this, a UE Ultras is up on the YouTube channel for all, all of your Europa League needs first thing Thursday morning. So make sure you tune into that to get a lowdown on the six games you need to be keeping an eye on in the Europa League this week. We will be back next week as ever, gang. Take it easy. Peace.